In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, big virtual climb sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 two steps inside or outside on stairs on the road on your treadmill doesn't matter just climb your way up join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart pumping playlist join us on june 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb conquer cure register at lls.org slash big climb climb those steps people Welcome to the Basket Buds edition of the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Zach Harper, joined by cultural anthropologist of the Athletic, Wazen Lambre. We've got uh, the host of Nerder She Wrote, which you guys should check out every single week, Dave Dufour. And we're joined by Michael Lee, uh, one, of, one of the best writers out there, one of the best dudes out there. Michael Lee, first of all, congratulations on fatherhood. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. How, you did it. How is it? It's number two, though. If, this, if I don't make it, right, right, yeah. Follow for the second time, right? Follow for the second time. Being, uh, being a uh, having a, a newborn. How how is everyone doing? Uh, obviously, relatively, which we'll get to other stuff later. But in just in terms of health, how is everyone doing? Everybody's healthy and, and fine. Uh, you know, had a big healthy uh, baby boy. He's, he, he weighed over nine pounds, and he's a uh, Wow. Got some size to him. So, so we're thinking uh, <laughs> like a stretch four, a modern day five. Like, what are we thinking here? I'm I'm, I'm waiting to see how, how he turns out. It's too early to say. All I know is that I bought my older son, who's three, a, a, a little tykes, um, you know, a hoop, you know, a little mini hoop. Yeah. So all he does is dunk. Mm-hmm. And wow. I, every time I try to get him to step out and like shoot from a little further <laughs> away, he refuses to do it. He just runs up and dunks. Man. And I'm like, man, I'm raising Ben Simmons. <laughs> This next one might be might be you know Joel and Bead. So yeah, we'll, man, see what well you know what next one stretches the floor for for the older brother. That's so he true. Can go we'll and dunk, right? Yeah, we'll figure out how to work together. It's the Jonte Porter Michael Porter dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, what's going on right now is um, sure basketball might come back, but that's not the story in in the country. That's not even the story in sports right now. Um, the protests over police brutality in the wake of, uh, you know, countless, countless deaths at the hands of, of the police. But most recently and most infamously, um, George Floyd, and I don't want to just put on George Floyd. There are a lot of a lot of recent uh, victims here. But George Floyd and the video from from Minneapolis of uh, of the officer um, killing him by by pressing on his neck for, I believe, it was about nine minutes and the three officers just watching him do it. Um, has has set off a, a spark in this in this country, and uh, and we've seen it over the last week of people protesting often peacefully, and then seeing provocation, riots incited, looting incited, and um, it seems like usually from outside forces other than the peaceful protesters. And so there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to get to. Um, I you know the, there's great pieces on the athletic. We have an open. Open letter from uh, from Monty Williams. We have incredible uh, incredible stories from from various um, African American workers at the Athletic about their their history and their you know 
moments of, of dealing with racism. Marcus Thompson's obviously written beautifully about it. There's a great podcast with uh, with Marcus, with Waz, and with David Aldridge from last week that is still still very important to listen to. Um, at this point, I don't really know where to start. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on obviously what what's happening, what has happened, what you hope for the future, um, and and just what your experience has been through all of this. Um, yeah, it's, I'm kind of conflicted. Um, because I want to be inspired. I want to be, um, uh, encouraged that this will be the one uh, moment that could, uh, you know, spark change. And I don't mean change in the sense that we're going to end racism. I mean, just change that we're going to, uh, you know, find, you know, hold, hold the people in power accountable, hold cops accountable, um, for the, for murdering us. And, you know, so I, I, I part of me wants to think that this is going to be the moment. But me being a 40 something year old man who has lived a long, long enough life, who's seen enough riots, who's seen enough, um, you know, eloquently written pieces, who's read enough books, who's watched enough documentaries, who's seen enough things that have really got me upset. Um, I'm also pretty jaded and knowing that this cycle is likely to repeat itself in a year, two years, five years, and for as long as I'm alive. Um, and I'm going to, I, you know, I joked about having two young boys. I'm worried about having two young boys and knowing what kind of world they're going to be living in and also not being hopeful that this will change anything. Um, so <laughs> I've really had a hard time trying to figure out what to say myself. Um, I want to write, <laughs> but obviously I don't have the energy, uh, with, with a newborn around, <laughs> but, um, but I do feel like, um, as much as I see everyone making statements and I see people, you know, coming out and really charged up and fired up. Um, I, I'm encouraged by that, but I, I feel like the people who really need to have their hearts and minds changed aren't listening anyway. And so we're kind of just talking to ourselves. So, that's kind of where I am. You know, I, 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 I don't want to be the one to just douse, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, um, you know, negativity on everything. But I really feel like until the, the people who really need to have their, their spirits, and their minds change are willing to move closer to doing that. Uh, we're just going to be right back in this space the next time this happens. Cause we already know from what happened over the weekend that wasn't that you know George Floyd wasn't the last person to be murdered by cops, and uh, and I think that's what makes me more uneasy is that I see the rage, yeah. I see the I see the anger, but I don't see anything coming out of it than just letting off steam. Yeah, was um, you've already done a podcast with uh, with our guy Teron Edwards, John Gervais. Uh, Mino Hassan and and you guys you guys had Jamel Hill on for Black Opinions Matter Monday podcast, which uh, you can find on Count the Things Network. Um, was I mean you've obviously talked about this in in the wake of everything and in the in the, you know the middle of everything. What's been what's been your experience you know so far during this thing? And and you usually have great perspective on this, so I'm curious what you think is next. I, uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't know. I'm not sure, you know, um, because 
This stuff tends, I think the next part is the unpredictable part. Um, the first stuff is always the predictable stuff. There's, you know, you get the news that the police killed some guy in Minneapolis. They say that they're, fi- they're basically, for the- they immediately wash their hands of the officers, which is an indication that whatever that video looks like is freaking gruesome. Because that's not the order of um, operations with the police when something like this happens. Usually there's some union full-throated endorsement of their actions, talking about their lives are in danger, blah, blah, blah. Minneapolis did none of that. Um, which, which you know, is a signal like, all right, when this video comes out, it's going to be gruesome. The video comes out, it's freaking horrible, right? Um, and of course, for me, the first wave of emotion is just like, man, this shit is tough. You know, like, not just my own personal feelings as being a black dude, but like, this guy's family, um, that community, uh, all of those people that knew him personally, how deeply affected they're going to be by this. And it's just like, you know, this is terrible when it happens from your own government. Um, and then predictably, there's an outrage, right? And it spreads around the country. And then, you know, you kind of got to deal with that wave. And then you watch the freaking cops come out and bust skulls. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to justify or whatever. Whatever, wherever people want to go with the quote unquote looting and rioting, like to me, that's like, it doesn't take that to watch police see people gather in crowds and act crazy. Like this, this idea that the police only do this when they see people acting out is, it's nonsense. So like, I'm not even going to justify that, but you know, predictably the cops come out and they do what cops do in this country. Um, and, and you got it. And then you start thinking about that. And that's for me where I'm at. It's like, the police are freaking dangerous, man. Um, the way they've behaved throughout the country. Um, and that's the funny thing, how uniform the response is. It doesn't matter if it's in L.A., if it's in D.C., if it's in Louisville, if it's in New York, if it's in Atlanta. All you see is a bunch of dudes in military gear, you know, acting with impunity. And then the leader of the country comes out and says, no, continue to do that. We got to, you know, we got to stamp down this stuff as aggressively and violently as we, you know, possibly can. Um, And, you know, you think about that wave and now we're in the point of, okay, there's energy, there's outrage. um, As inevitably, as always happens, what do we do next? That's the point we're at, Zach, where you like, what do I think is going to happen? This is always the inflection point. Um, I remember body cams, you know, and because like people always gonna say, all right, what do we want? I remember body cams. And then I forget <laughs> which police department said, uh, uh, coincidentally, every single officer's body cam was off when something horrendous happened the other night. Right. Um, this is the point where we at, where we ask for where people are going to say, all right, you guys are just mad. You don't want anything. You don't want anything concrete or specific. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be a, a thought and a development of like what people want to see specifically. Cause that's what they always hit you with. It's not an attitude. It's not a culture change. They're always going to hit you with the cop out of what do you specifically want? You're not organized. You don't even know what you really want. Right. Um, they're not going to address just the systemic culture of policing um, in underserved communities in the country. Um, so that's what we're going to see next. I think, you know, people are going to organize and there's going to be an organizing principle about, all right, we want this thing and we're going to see what the hell happens after. And they get away with it because there's a large part of this country that doesn't see black and brown people as actual human beings. And, and we're getting hit in the face with it 
And it's something that, you know, like, I mean, Zach, you and I have never had a conversation about this. I mean, obviously, you know, like our job is to talk about basketball. So um, it just doesn't really come up. But like this is on us, too. Like we have to be more outspoken about this stuff and call it out when we see it and do something about it. I I mean, that's a great point because I I've heard this from you know tied to basketball a little bit. I've heard this from um, kind of the. The talking points coming out of the the coaches committee that's dealing with the, the racial injustice stuff that's that's been put together, right? Um, this talking point and David Fisdale was actually on. We recorded yesterday, uh, but he was on today's radio show uh, with myself on NBA Radio, and he said he said this, and, and this has become a, a pretty big talking point in the last couple of days. Of this isn't a black problem. This is a white problem, right? And it's a hundred percent like it's it's not black people doing this to, to themselves and you can throw out, Oh, but this statistic and that happened and this, happened. shut up, just shut up. Like it's so, it's so fucking stupid. And so, um, you know, Friday night, uh, Friday night, my girlfriend, and I, she has this like live stream Friday nights that's being put on at the W hotel. And they're trying to, you know, they're kicking off the streaming platform that they have and everything. And Friday night we had this comedy show, you know, planned out for an hour and it can only be me as her guest on because it's, you know, quarantine still and everything. And we scrapped the whole thing and wanted to talk about what was going on. And, and Friday, you know, Friday was bad, obviously, but, it, you know, much worse stuff has happened ever since. And even then, like, we felt weird because, you know, Waz, it was like, all right, here's one and a half white people talking about this, right? Like, she's, she's half Mexican, half white. And, and even then, it's like, um, it, feel, it feels not, it, not hollow by any means, but it, you, like, you know how it is, like, whenever, whenever you get... A, a not so diverse group talking about it. so dave like you and i talking about it is important but it's it's important that everyone talks about it together with you and i saying yes we are accountable because you guys know me like i'm a pretty outspoken person right and even in like friday i realized i was like i'm outspoken but like jesus christ kicking up a notch right like like i've been outspoken about plenty of stuff but it has to be a constant thing in order for the change to happen and so that's that's the realization i've i've had over the last week and and be honest like i'm fucking embarrassed that it's taken me this long to to get this consistently enraged by it like it's always bothered me ever since i became aware of it but it's but it's it's a different thing where it's like yeah you know we need and and on this i mean i don't know how you guys feel about this 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 blackout tuesday thing you know it's i think it was like a good meaning for the social media stuff but it's also like all right, get your likes, get your retweets. No, fuck that. Like amplify the voices that need to be there. Right. Like it, I do think everyone needs to talk about this. Um, and, and white people need to be honest about that. You know, I think, I think another, another component, um, that I think is underrated here. And I was actually talking to my lady last night about it is that, um, because, (laughs) Because we live at it in a time where we perform our lives out on social media, there's this instinct to think that this is going to get solved on social media. It's not. Um, the angry posts aren't going to solve it. It's going to take deliberate, patient conversations out in the world with the people around you. It's not going to be a viral post that sparks the thought that fixes racism. Like this is hard, diligent work. 
you know, um, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of, I'm kind of reminded of, um, back when I was living in New York and, you know, you might make a white friend who's a native New Yorker, a white native New Yorker, which I try to talk about all the time. Like people gotta understand like this vision of hippies and ultra liberal artsy fartsy New Yorkers. Those are all transplanted white people in New York. They are not the people who grew up in the outer boroughs of Queens, Staten Island, um, Brooklyn, or even Long Island in um, northern and central New Jersey. Um, those people have nothing in common with those people, right? Um, you know, you make a white friend, you go to their neighborhood event um, inevitably, and you hang out with their people, and you're like, yo... <laughs> Like, you're just like, yo, and you're, you know, ostensibly good white friend. Like, I start to think to myself, like, how is this person who, you know, I hate using that term, like one of the good ones, but it's true. Like one of the good ones, somebody with some type of empathy, understanding, willing to listen, all of those things you affiliate with good allies. How is this person supposed to talk to seven of their home friends for real, for real? You know, it's not a, con and it's definitely probably not a conversation that happens in groups. And it's probably not one conversation. It's a lot of conversations. Um, and it's a measured conversation. It's not a yell fight. It's not a yell match. Um, you know, <laughs> like those conversations are hard is what I'm saying. You know, like it, it's tough to change hearts and minds, right? But that's the work that needs to be done. I'm not saying you shouldn't share stuff on social or you shouldn't be outraged on social because that's part of the ways that we all self-express nowadays, right? Um, but the work is is not going to get done strictly on social. And that's what I would want to impress upon anybody who's listening to this is conversations, man. And, 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 it's, and it's slow. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next week. It's going to happen over time. And it's going to take some type of emotional intelligence. It's going to take some, yo, I failed at um, broaching the topic one time. Let me come up with a different approach. Let me come up with a different angle. Um, and that's what I think it's going to take, if that makes any sense to people out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to bring it into basketball a little bit because um, – Oh God, Zach! I know. Basketball. Why? I know. Well, why? Because we still have. <laughs> why? We're talking about racial strife, man. Four hundred fifty years. Well, because I'm curious. You're not having fun. I, well, no, I'm having. I'm having a blast, Waz. You know me. You know. Zach said this, he's having a blast. This is my favorite topic um, to talk about with you. Uh, but no, but seriously, like to it is a basketball show, and there are probably people who are uncomfortable with this conversation so far. Good. You, you can, you can deal with it for however long this podcast is going to be. Um, with, with the basketball angle of it, since it is a basketball podcast, Michael, are you surprised that two teams, the Spurs, despite the Spurs participated in blackout Tuesday on, on Twitter, are you surprised that the Spurs and the Knicks have not made a statement or are you surprised that the only good statement that was made so far by any of the teams was the Washington Wizards because the players made it? Yeah, that's 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 the one thing. Um, I, I feel like a lot of these statements from teams and and from um, definitely corporations are really empty kind of word salads that aren't really saying anything and aren't really addressing the real issues. I feel like you got to confront 
the real problem. You got to confront the real issue. And one, it's not even just an issue. It's not a people of color issue. It's a black issue, you know, because black people are the ones being targeted. Black people are the ones who, when they wake up in the morning, they step outside, they already realize that just their melanin, their skin color makes them a threat. I'm a threat. Even if I don't walk around, I don't have a gun, I don't have a weapon. The moment I leave my house, I am considered a threat. And I have to be conscious of that every time I move. I have to be conscious of that when I'm on an elevator and I'm the only black person and there's a white woman by herself. I have to be conscious that she's probably going to be afraid. Even though I'm not thinking about what's in her purse or anything else, I'm just trying to get to my floor. I have to be conscious of that. If I'm at the grocery store and I'm walking down an aisle and a woman takes off the other direction because I'm coming down, I have to be conscious of that, but I have to be aware, you know, I also have to be aware of all these things. And so a lot of these statements that I'm seeing are really, really, really empty. And they are more offensive to me because they're dancing around, you know, what needs to be said. And if you really are sincere, if you really want change, one, you're going to talk to your black players or your black staffers and try to get a sense of how they're feeling and what really needs to be said. And two, you're going to not be afraid of it if you're going to go out there and actually make a statement. You know, uh, I say everyone's upset at the Knicks for not doing it, but I actually respect the Knicks. I, I, I do in this regard. And I, I'm hard. I'm a very hard critical of the Knicks and James Dolan and a lot of things I think are tacky. But I don't feel like just because everybody else is moving and makes make statements and, and do these things that that's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's OK to step back and not jump in, because if you're not sincere with it, and you're not real with it and you're not genuine with it, I don't want it. I'm not with it either. Right. And I think that's what happened, you know, when, with the Wizards. They actually reached out to their players and they allowed them to be that voice. And that was probably the realest stuff that you that you saw. But, like, you saw the Dallas Mavericks make a statement, and it's like this corny thing about rebounding together. I'm like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, right. What does that mean? That, that's, a, that's an offense. I'm offended by that. Like, don't even – don't try. Like, just, just yeah. step out. You know, you, we don't need to hear from you. Like – Right now, I don't need to hear from the Mavericks. I don't need to hear from teams about this issue. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fine gesture, but if you're not really doing it, like I, I respect what the Timberwolves have done and, uh, you know, really supporting their guys um, who went out and, uh, you know, and showed up at that press conference with Steven Jackson and Anthony Towns, who I give a lot of props, you know, to be seen publicly so soon after his mother's death, you know, to speak out on this issue. It shows you how you know, um, how passionate he is about this and just about his life experience and what he's dealt with as a black man in this country. And I just feel like um, if you if you are making statements, you know, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram or you're, you know, a team or a corporation and you're putting out these statements, you know, actually talk to people and see how they're going to feel about it. Don't think don't worry about the lawyers. Don't worry about, you know, anything like that. What about the people who you're actually trying to reach and, and trying to touch? If you're afraid of making people uncomfortable, if you're afraid of offending people, if you're afraid of, you know, getting on this platform, you know, and offending, you know, your 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 season ticket holders or your fans, then just just fall back. I don't care. I don't I don't need to hear from you. You're not making me feel any better. It's not like I saw any statement and I read. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm so glad that. You know, the Brooklyn Nets are behind us on this. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I, what I, need, I don't mean I need to laugh at that, but that is such a stupid thing. True. Like, it really is. Like, it's, not, it's true. I'm not sitting back. You know, like, and, and Pizza came out with a statement. I'm like, 
what what like <laughs> like, I, like I'm gonna sit back and, yeah man and pizza they, they they came through with that statement dog I'm I'm with them I'm riding with them on that on that and I'm not like uh if I like your pizza I'm gonna eat it you know whether you <laughs> like I don't care <laughs> I gotta uh you know say we're with you and we're against racial you know discrimination and all that stuff yeah okay that's that's all fine but um I feel like now everybody's hopping on because they feel like it's the right thing to do. They don't really know what to say. They feel like they have to say something. But I'm I'm more like I need to hear from the Minneapolis, you know, district attorneys. I need to hear from the, the state house in, in Minnesota. I need to hear from those people saying that they're actually going to prosecute these officers who murdered this man in the street. You know, I need to hear from, you know, the the, the, the attorney generals around the country who allow this 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 to go on and who worked with the police to keep them from going to jail for committing murder. You know, I need to hear from them. I need to hear that they're going to make a change because, you know, some empty statement on social media, that's not going to do anything to help me through my day. But if I know that a state is going to prosecute a murderer for committing murder, then I'll feel safer. But right now I know as a black man in, in this country, you know, every time I see a cop, I wince up. I don't, I don't have any criminal records. I haven't done anything. Maybe a speeding ticket here or there. But I know that I live in fear whenever I see a cop because I don't know what he's going to do. And I don't know what he's going to be able to get away with. And I want to make sure that I come home every day. And that's something I have to think about whenever I leave the house. Am I coming home? And it's not something that weighs me down to the point where I'm depressed or scared and just like feeling all levels of anxiety. But it is something I have to be conscious of. It is something I have to be aware of every time I leave the house. And if I'm not, I could get caught slipping and there could be a lot of people who can be hurting in the process. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing to me that the people who scream about law and order don't understand the hypocrisy of saying that they want law and order. And, and to me, like meaning, Hey, we want things to be fair and just, and yet they don't understand that they're on the wrong side of the argument here. I mean, the, the pro, it's not like these protests started from nothing. It's not like people were just bored one day. They were like, you know what would be really cool if we just went out and, uh, they, you know. They spun a, they spun a wheel for the, the cause, right? They spun a wheel and then, spray. oh, it landed on right. police brutality today. I guess we'll go do that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I pride myself on my ability to put myself in other people's shoes. I can't imagine how fucking hard it must be every day to be black in this country it is impossible for me to fathom what it's like to walk around with a target on your back and until we all just get fed up with the way things are it's not gonna improve look um Dave what you know it's crazy what um what Mike just said which is the experience um of pretty much, I would argue most overwhelmingly, overwhelming majority of black dudes, black people in America, when it comes to their relationship with policing, um, you know, <laughs> I recently, last year I moved here to Encino in the Valley and for the first time in my life, um, police officers waved at me, <laughs> like would say hi. And this was a common occurrence. Like, would say hi to me, and it was sort of like an out-of-body experience. I can't even lie to you, dude. Like, it was coming from NYPD style of policing, which is 
always intimidation factor, always stone faced, no matter what the situation is, for the most part. Um, the, like getting waved at by a cop here, you know, in the same neighborhood that like most of these older people don't even say good morning back to me. It's like, you know, you're constantly dealing with this type of shit, right? Um, but I wanted to spin it forward to, not forward, but sort of backwards to Dolan and the Knicks. Pablo last night got his hands on an email that they sent to MSG employees where James Dolan basically comes out and says, I'm not qualified to talk on social justice issues as a company because all we do is entertainment, which like I hear, while I hear Mike is saying like, I don't really give a fuck what the Knicks think. Um, I'm, I'm still annoyed by Dolan's cowardice. Um, and his inability to just say, y'all like the cops and I'm not going to do that. You know, like, just be real, bro. Like, um, we're talking about a billionaire trust fund, baby. Basically one of the most untouchable people in the country, you know, like nobody can actually do anything to you, but yet this dude still feels the need to just lie in a company email. And, and I think that's what you're seeing across the league. It's, the ownership class, um, white people, <laughs> for the most part, out in America, like the cops. And so, therefore, this idea that you would come down on the people who they see as their protectors from the plebs, um, they're hesitant to come out with these statements. I don't see how you can um, interpret the lack of response or just, just to say, yo, it's messed up that this dude died this way. Just the, 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 you know, the, 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 the way that they've just avoided just even saying that bare minimum, all you can interpret that as is like, no, we love the cops more than anything, more than anything. And we're yeah. not going to come out and be disparaging of the police force in this country because those are our personal bodyguards. They're the ones who keep us. They're the ones who stand between us and the monsters out there. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing from NBA ownership groups. Yeah, it's and it's weird. It's not like the Knicks are Cirque du Soleil, right? Like I don't expect Cirque du Soleil <laughs> to have a statement, but the Knicks, like this is a basketball team, right? Like, I mean, the last time I checked, the NBA um, is a league full of black sure. athletes, right? Black men, which are targeted but Dave, by that's police so, that's in this them, country, though. The players I know. need to yeah. band together and talk to their freaking part, their business partners who are the ownership groups, the ownership class, and be like, um, we're not going to accept this anymore. Because this idea that the ownership class left to their own devices are just going to do the right thing, they've consistently shown otherwise. <laughs> when left to their own devices, they're going to completely mess things up. They're going to absolutely um, aid and abet Roger Sterling. Um, that, excuse me, Donald Sterling. Yeah, I'm always thinking about Mad Men, my bad. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they've shown over and over that they're not going to do the right thing on their own. And it sucks that it's these dudes' responsibility, but it is. Straight up. Like, they have to collectively use their voices and be like, look, you guys are our business partners. That means you got to take our concerns seriously because we always take y'all shit serious. Um, And so, you know. That's that's just where I'm at with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just 
I mean, I, I'm not, Dolan is the worst. Yeah, like I'm not shocked by like he's he's <laughs> he a so coward. Bad. He's a coward, and like you see that anytime there's an issue with like a fan says, "Oh, sell the team," tickets pulled. Right? Like yeah. he's he's a coward. He's a child. He's a toddler. That's what he, he's a like a 50 year old toddler. However old he is, I don't even care. Like he's just a he's a he's not a leader in any way. But it, 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 that that being said, though, like Roger Goodell. <laughs> oh, who you, blackballed yeah, yeah. a man from the NFL, Colin Kaepernick? He blackballed him. Came out with a statement mm-hmm. about this, and it was just the most, you know, <laughs> you know, hypocritical comment that could ever come out of somebody's mouth. And everybody blasting like, "You shut up! Like you sit this one out because we already know how you feel." And that's how I feel about like a James Dolan. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear him say anything on this stuff. Because mm-hmm. I already know where he stands. I already know who he is. Right. And if he mm-hmm. tries to act like he's somebody else right now, I'll be like, you're a phony. I already know. So, and that and that's sort of what I'm saying. Like, if it is not in you to come out and make a statement, I don't want to hear from you. I mean, and I guess some people say, well, people only want to hear from the people who say what they want to hear, right? You know, if, you, if you're not saying what I want to hear, then I won't listen to you. Well, in this in this regard, that's how I feel. If if you are all definitely find yourself on the wrong side, but you feel like it's popular to move and say something, then yeah, go. You know, I I, I just don't I don't I don't trust where I don't trust your motivations. I don't trust where you're coming from, and I I, I just need like the genuine people to be genuine. Whether, whether you're pro cops, you know, or, or if you think that you have questions about why these cops in Minnesota murdered them, if you still have doubts about all these, you know, uh, unarmed black people who've been murdered over these years. If you don't trust that this is a real threat and this is something serious that black people deal with on a daily basis, shut up. Stay away. I don't need you in the conversation. I hope you listen. I would love for you to come around and listen, but I don't want you to make some statement that's going to offend me even more. So, um, and that, that's sort of where I stand, you know, in a lot of, a lot of respects. Like, we, we can blast Dolan all day saying he's a coward, but we know that. We know that when it comes to anything. Right. So why are we expecting him to all of a sudden, you know, ha, you know, understand that, you know, what, what, what happened? He's going to all of a sudden be empathetic. He's all of a sudden going to be less narcissistic and he's going to be, you know, you know, willing to step out on a limb and, um, and go outside of his comfort zone to look out for his players. I mean, that, that is that James Dolan? I mean, it's not. <laughs> so, so, Michael, so, Michael, you're, you're, you're not moved by the New York Islanders saying that they take this seriously and also they support the police during all this. Yeah. We're not we're not here for this both sides thing right now. Yeah. Like no. Cops cops no. murdered a man in the street. We don't care that you support these good cops or who you think are these good cops. Like right now we're talking about these 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 cops that went out here and that used lethal force to take out a man who was already handcuffed and was already just he'd already surrendered. Like there was no more force that was needed or required. You know, and I and for me, I'm always angered by the fact that I don't know what happens in police training, but why lethal force is an option is beyond me. Because, you know, yeah, you have guns, but they should be used only in situations when you are actually being shot at, in my opinion. Like, you don't just all of a sudden become the aggressor. They have the power to do whatever they want, but they automatically go to lethal force when it comes to black people. And that's that's what that's what's offensive to me. We saw people protesting, you know, the fact that they couldn't get a haircut and couldn't go to Cracker Barrel showing up on the state house <laughs> with, with bazookas and, 
and all sorts of AR-15s and rifles, and they're marching, and the cops just let them do it. They're letting people yell in their face and spit on them and do all this other stuff, and nothing's happened to them. But look at the hue of the people who are protesting, and look at the ones now who are peacefully protesting and being sprayed with tear gas and shot with rubber bullets. For me, that's a, that's a, that's that's it's like we we say we want things to change, but we can already see from the reaction of the cops and how they're responding to this across the country. Then we got a long way to go. This stuff isn't going to end this week. You know, if we have another week or two weeks or three weeks of protests, we're not going to be able to wear down the people who need to be worn down. And I appreciate I, I've had, you know, um, white friends reach out to me, text me, call me, you know, to see what they can do to be better. And I, I admire that and I respect them for doing that and reaching out. Um, but I don't necessarily need that because if I'm already considering you a friend and I think you've already done enough, <laughs> you know, right. and if you, if you're willing to already see me as human and you respect me as a, as a person, then I don't need, I don't need more. I mean, if you want to read books, I'll give you some books to read. Fine. I can give you a list of books to read, but in terms of who needs to be touched, the people who really need to be touched, the people who feel like, you know, what Kaepernick did was wrong and feel like, you know, they, they, they hate him or despise him. Those are the people who really need to be impacted by this stuff. Those are the people who need to have their hearts changed, but it'll really be a change, you know? And I, and I, and that's, and that's where I, I wonder how we can get there. And that's where if I implore anything on, you know, my white friends, if, if you have an uncle or grand or grandfather or father or parents, anybody who's just in this bubble to where they can't see what's happening or they don't understand, or, they ref- or they, they've been in denial about what's happening in this country and how we have a racial caste system that's been in existence from the beginning. If you are in denial or you just, you just don't believe it to be true, somebody needs to talk to them. I'm not going to be able to one, I'm not going to be the one that's going to be able to do it. But, um, but I just hope that in terms of like, it's not on and it's not on black people to help white people out on this. Like it's not really on us. Cause we, we already done enough <laughs> in terms of, you know, helping to build the wealth of this country in terms of providing a culture in terms of never once responding to this hatred that has been, that we've been subjected to from our entire time in this country. We've never responded with revenge. All we've ever asked for is equality. And that's all we've ever sought from the time we've been here. All we've ever sought was equality. I mean, there may have been some violent slave uprisings, but those were all to try to just be equal. Like, we've never said we're going to plot and, and flip the script. We've never said anything. We're not going to the gun stores. We're not, we're not lining up to be armed and ready for war because it's not a war. It's just basic dignity and decency. That's all people are asking for. And it seems like every couple years we had to do this over and over again and for me it's infuriating it's infuriating because i remember if, when ferguson hit in 2014 and then after that you had freddie gray in baltimore a year later you had all these protests you had all these movements i remember seeing carmelo like marching through and i'm like man this is dope this is this is fantastic i love seeing this i love seeing you know players getting involved uh, and i remember when um you know Dwayne wade and LeBron and Chris Paul and Carmelo made that statement at the ESPYs and everybody's like, yeah, man, things are moving. Like we were getting things done. And then, then we didn't vote. Right. <laughs> and then we didn't really put the people in power who could actually, you know, 
initiate change because nobody's going to initiate change. They don't feel like they have to. And we can have as many protests as we want, but we have to have organization. We actually have to mobilize and turn this energy into something to where we're not just shouting on social media, we're not just firing off tweets for likes and, and, uh, and retweets, but actually mobilizing and trying to, to change the laws and trying to, you know, put people in power who can write the laws to where we can feel protected and we can feel safer because there are a lot of people who are very comfortable and profiting off of our deaths, off of our pain and, um, off of our, you know, trauma. And, and for me, that's, what's been most disturbing and troubling about all this. So I, I think sometimes I want to just fire off and write something. And other times I want to just sit back and observe. And that's sort of the way I've always been. I always just kind of sit back and try to, you know, rationalize things on my own. Um, and then talk to my friends about it later. But I just feel like right now, this is a moment where I think that, you know, people are awake, that we have the attention of the country. We have the attention of the world um, because everyone is aware of this, of the situation in this country um, and what needs to be changed. But like I'm, it's like I'm, I'm being a dead horse. The ones that need to make the change are not necessarily you, Zach and Dave. It's, it's other guys out there that, that sort of <laughs> that, that, that have been, you know, blind to this for, for way too long. And either because it makes them uncomfortable or they just don't want to deal with it. But I just feel like this, this period of time requires some introspective and to like really look yourself in the mirror and saying, why, what, how am I benefiting while these other people are suffering? It is on us, right? Like we've been pretty vocal. It need to be more vocal. Like for me personally, I've decided like, all right, I'm done with the local politicians, right? Like I've emailed, I emailed, I think 13 council See, but members. You can't yesterday. just quit on them, right? Like we have to find better replacements. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I like, I like, right. I emailed 13 council members yesterday. Um, and have been, you know, tweeting whoever I whoever I can who I see, you know, as in charge of whatever area of the protest I saw last night of like, okay, this was you. This is your area, are you gonna stand for this? Like we saw the the local Fox channel and and this I believe went viral. I know it was huge, at least here in LA, of the the black store owners trying to flag one, they stopped their store from being looted and then tried to flag yeah. down the cops on live TV and the cops came in and put handcuffs on them. Right. And like, like what, like what the fuck? Like, (laughs) which is why, which is why black people don't call the cops when they actually need them. So I'll I'll name it right here. Nuri Martinez is the, is the president of the city council and, uh, and Van Nuys and that happened in Van Nuys, California down here in the Valley. And that is her area. And she was literally on TV like an hour before on the CBS local channel talking about, uh, you know, protesting really isn't the way to go, go home and think of something else. That's how you help. And like it's stuck like that, like she was on like literally an hour before that moment saying that. I'm like, what? This isn't leadership. So like her, Garcetti, like all, like I'm just talking locally here in LA. Like the the police chief initially said uh, Michael Michael Moore, except it's spelled Michelle Moore, so I don't really know what his first name is, but um, came out and said, you know the the four you know the four officers. Um, are as you yeah, know the protesters, the protesters are as culpable as, as culpable as yeah the as the as the officers who killed George after Floyd right the people who protested after the homie died is why the homie died right and, and then and then yeah. Came, yeah it was and then came out wow. and said he didn't he didn't retract it they just said oh yeah it was a poor choice of words so what do you mean 
right? Like, what do you mean? If that poor choice of words, give us the real choice of words then. You've had some time to think about it. It's stuff like that. Policing in our country is broken. Um, you know, it's a lot of military cosplay, but with people who, you know, they don't even understand the rules of engagement. Like guys in the military uh, talk about this a lot with the way that, that the police kind of act in public. A lot of fingers on the trigger. Uh, there were, uh, The guy in Louisville that got shot, whose name escapes me right now, who was out there feeding people. He got shot by the cops who had their their body cameras turned off um, because they said a shot came from the crowd and they opened fire into the crowd. All of those cops should be in jail. Like, it, like this is just not something we as as citizens should tolerate uh, as human beings. If this stuff was happening in another country, we would be aghast at yeah. this and we would call that place a shithole. Yeah. And. And exactly. You know, I, I, I'll say this. I know for, for me, like I saw this sign, this little kid was holding up. I don't remember where it was. Some protest. He was saying like, you know, what age do I go from being cute to being a criminal? Yeah, saw that. Yeah. And I, I remember, I remember mm-hmm. where, where it, what city it was in. But I was thinking the exact same thing because, you know, I, I, I mean, I grew up. My, my grandfather was a cop for a while. I had two uncles who was a cop. Uh, one of my uncles was actually the main security guy for the uh, mayor, uh, you know, for a while. So, um, so I have family there in law enforcement. And so I understand, you know, the struggle and understand what they, what they deal with, what they put up with. And I know that as a kid, when I was really young, I looked up to cops. I thought cops were there to protect us. And, and, um, and I remember like they used to, they used to have cops that sit outside the grocery store and they would hand us like football cards like we would get like Kansas City Chiefs football cards from the cops and so um I was thinking that cops were there for me because and I had family members who were cops and these cops were handing me football cards you know so cops must be good and and then I remember you know and I wrote about this you know in, in January or February right before the Super Bowl you know about how um you know how the NFL's treatment of Kaepernick basically ruined my relationship with my hometown team. And like now I, I couldn't even celebrate the fact that they won a Super Bowl because I'm so disgusted by a league that felt that a man taking a knee was the greatest, most heinous act that ever been, you know, inflicted upon the league. And so, um, but I remember when I was a teenager, it's like 14 or 15 and my dad, you know, sat me down and, and he just said, you know, somebody to talk to you about. And he was really kind of uncomfortable, you know, getting ready to talk to me. And, um, and I didn't understand why, because my dad is like one of the most direct, straightforward, loud mouth, curse you out in a second, dude, people you ever want to be around. And he was really uncomfortable, but he wanted me to understand what it'd be like when I stepped out on the street and had to deal with um, the police. And he wanted me to never talk back. He wanted me to just say, yes, sir, no, sir, and just follow the instructions. Don't don't talk back and don't cause any problems. You know, his, his concern was that he wanted me to just come home. That's what he wanted me to do. And I didn't understand what he was doing. I didn't understand why he was having this conversation with me because it didn't make any sense because I was a good student. I, I didn't I didn't I, I didn't hang around with people that got in trouble. You know, um, you know, I, I didn't have anything that he had to worry about. But he wanted me to know that he had to worry about me just because. And it didn't hit me until like a year or so later when I was hanging out with my friends and we went out to the um, to we were going to a party. We were head out to a party. And um, my friend got some gas, and when he pulled out, we didn't really know it, but when he pulled out, he forgot to turn his, his headlights back on. 
And within like a minute, you know, cop pulled us over. And within 30 seconds, another cop car showed up. And so, you know, about two minutes later, we're all outside the car being searched and, you know, being, you know, aggressively searched and, and slammed against the car. And, and that's, you know, stuff that I dealt with when I was a teenager. And at that point, you know, I, you know, I was thinking about that, that picture. I was like, yeah, I guess that was the point where I became a criminal. You know, I wasn't that cute kid that the cops wanted to hand a car to. I was, I was a man, a threat to them, to somebody they had to really, you know, show their force and, their, and what they, what kind of power they had over me. And that stayed with me. And I've had, you know, many incidents in the past where I've been pulled over for driving while black and, and, and moments where, you know, I, obviously I'm in fear, you know, and, and, and wondering just, I got to do whatever I got to do to just get home. Like, I'm not going to talk back. I'm just going to, whatever the officer wants to tell me to do, I'm going to do it. You know, because the uh, last thing I want to do is just be a hashtag. You know what I'm saying? And um, and that's that's a tough reality that you got to deal with. And that's something that you know I've shared with a lot of people. And I know that some people just don't want to listen. They don't they don't care to listen. They don't um, they they feel like um, uh, you know, we're making it up or or that we just want you know sympathy. I don't want any sympathy. I don't want anybody to feel pity toward me. Like this is my life. This is my existence. And I love being black. I love being a black man in this country. Uh, I love everything about my upbringing and what I've had to endure and what I've dealt with. I feel like it's, you know, instilled a lot of character in me. And, and so I don't, I wouldn't trade this for anything. You know, I would like to just be able to live. I would like to just be able to, to move freely and not have to think about things that I have to think about. But I also know that, um, you know, <laughs> that, you know, there, there are things that, that I just wish could, that people could understand and that they'd be willing to understand and it gets sort of tiring. It gets exhausting that you constantly get reminders that, you know, you got to keep going through this. And uh, so I but I, I will say and just talk about basketball. I, I, I do enjoy seeing like players like Jalen Brown, you know, or Malcolm Brogdon or anybody else that's going out to these protests and leading leading the marches um, because it shows everybody um, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your status is, you're never removed from the reality that <laughs> you're a black person in this country. And a lot of people feel like, and said, like a, like people said, Damian Lillard was was uh, entitled, you know, because he didn't want to play those games, you know, <laughs> if, if he were going to play many, many of these games. Man, if you know the struggle, what you got to come out of just to make it in this in this world as a black person. Um, and, and, and a lot of the things you have to overcome, um, you know, it's just, it's just, you, you, you appreciate everything, but you never lose sight of where you, of what you've had to overcome. And I think a lot of these players, they, they know, they understand that wherever they live, no matter how much money they have, they can't escape that. Yeah. I don't think that could be better said. Um, before we go, I do want to touch on, uh, the passing of Wes Unseld, Hall of Famer, um, the last rookie of the year slash MVP. Um, maybe the only, I can't remember if Wilt did it, but one MVP and rookie of the year in the same year is also the only year he ever made an all-NBA team, which is weird. Uh, and he also won finals MVP, averaging nine points a game in that final series, in that seven-game series in 78 over the uh, over the Seattle Supersonics. Um, Michael, like with, with Wes, I talked to Rick Mahorn earlier today on the radio, and you know he, you know, Wes was his veteran when he came into the league and taught him a lot. Wes obviously has a huge impact on 
on a lot of people in this league and is really thought of as one of the pillars, um, you know, both as a player and and just as a man. Did you ever have, you know, uh, you know, really like run-ins, not run-ins, but, you know, interactions with him and, 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 and what did you take from those? Oh man. Uh, Wes was, Wes was the greatest. I mean, he was just a, a, a true gentleman. He was a great man of character. He always carried himself with class. There was a power that, that you felt when you spoke to him. Um, and there's just, just a lot of dignity. And even though, you know, it's funny cause I was made aware of Wes in the eighties when I first started following basketball and he's like a coach and like GM of the wizards. And he was not very good at that job. So I didn't know how great he was until, you know, I started covering the team and started to witness just what the level of success was while he was with the bullets and what it's been like since he left. And I don't think people really understand that, you know, like there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, you know, franchises that where a lot of legends want to, you know, have, have found a home. You know, you look at the Lakers, the Celtics, you know, Sixers, you know. But then there are some franchises that are just fortunate to have a legend, you know, make them their home. And you have like Michael Jordan and the Bulls. You know, look at the years Jordan's not with the Bulls. It's a pretty crappy organization. But if you look at the Wizards, without Wes, that there was a 10-year stretch where they won 60% of their games, went to four final, I mean, four championship rounds, final um, finals, won a championship, and that's all from West being there. This is a six-seven dude who was guarding, you know, Lou Alcindor and everybody. He's guarding all the Giants and he's pounding them. He's beating them to a pulp. He's getting every rebound. He's throwing every outlet pass. And so he averaged nine points, but he was he had tri- a triple double in '71 where he had 23 rebounds. So you know when you are out there that small, that undersized, but you are a force. Um, I, th- I think the whole people can really appreciate him. He's almost like he's almost like a Tim Duncan of of the, of the Bullets franchise um, because you know they had five 50 win seasons with West there, and the franchise has been around since 1961. So it's 2020. Do you know how many other 50 win seasons they had in that franchise history? Zero. <laughs> none. Yeah. They yeah. haven't had any since and none before. So, you know, a lot of people look at the Wizards as sort of a joke of a franchise. They were for the furthest from that when Wes Ansel was there. I mean, he, he was responsible for the greatest stretch that they had. By far the, the greatest bullet wizard in franchise history. And not even close. It's funny because, you know, I didn't I didn't see his career, but, you know, growing up, you know, I'm from Richmond. So growing up, you would hear about, oh, well, you know, Wes was this guy and and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's funny. The, the undersized centers like him and Moses, they were like the proto Draymond Green in a, in a certain respect. You know, it's funny. I remember um, with the Derek, when Derek Rose was named the youngest uh, MVP um, back in 2011, uh, he replaced uh, Wes, who, like you said, won MVP and Rookie of the Year the same year. Other, other, only guy other than Will to do that. And I remember calling Wes after that just to ask him because, you know, they were getting ready to have this press conference for Derrick Rose, you know, that big one where he cried about his mom and said, Mama, we made it and everything. And so when Wes won MVP, like, I, if I remember the story correctly, I think he was just out, out somewhere fishing. And, like, he got a phone call and said they need to pick up the phone. And they said they called him and said, yeah, you won MVP. And he said, oh, okay. And he hung up. <laughs> That's how he found out he won MVP. 
just from a phone call. Like, and that was it. And he kept moving on with his day. And it meant, it, I mean, it was probably a great feeling, like looking back, like, yeah, you know, you, you win MVP as a rookie, but, uh, but it was that, that simple. And that, that sort of describes him in, in the sense that he was a very simple, no nonsense man. Um, he wasn't flashing anyway. And I mean, he couldn't be in those, he wore those Chuck Taylors and the short shorts and everything. But one thing I admire about him too, is that, you know, when his career was over, he ran his own school called the Unsell School in Baltimore that kind of served, you know, um, you know, community that, you know, needed it. And so, you know, we, we talk about LeBron and what he's done and Jalen Rose, what they've done in terms of schools. Well, Wes Unsell was one of the first guys to go out there and do it. You know, Dave Robinson obviously had a school as well. But uh, Wes was one of the first guys to do that, to try to educate, you know, kids. And I think that's one of the more admirable things about him is that as great as he was as a player, that he understood his purpose and his, um, you know, to the community. And he's from Louisville, but he made Baltimore his home, and he continued to invest and, and give all he had to that community. So it, it was a huge loss. It's a huge loss for the franchise um, because, you know, West West meant everything, especially to late A. Poland, who passed and considered him a son over, for all those years. Well, man, you know, rest in peace to the great man, West Unsell, obviously a great NBA player, you know, somebody obviously about the community. Um, I want to thank Michael Lee for coming on with us. That was incredible, Mike. Um, we appreciate you every time you come on with us. Of course, Zach Harper and Dave DeFore, as always. Um, Jade Hoy on the ones and threes. Uh, this was <laughs> this was <laughs> this was the Basket Buds, man. Make sure you subscribe, rate, um, share. Uh, you know, make sure you subscribe to the Athletic. I'm pretty sure you can still get your first three months free. Um, and I know for a fact you're not going to regret it because I think we have some of the best sports coverage out there, period. And I don't just say that because I'm biased. Um, so we'll see you guys next week. Uh, we're out of here.